Welcome to the weekly podcast from Spring of Life Church, located in the heart of downtown Portland. We hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. For more information, visit us at springoflifepdx.com. How are you? Good. Um, I want to start by just saying thank you for being here this morning. Um, I want to thank your pastor, Aaron, who is amazing, um, funny, talented, tall, handsome, smart. I mean, big shoes to fill. But I love Aaron, and I'm just so thankful for you know, him asking me to come and to, to share with you guys what God's been doing in my life. Um, and... I just want to tell you how deeply humbled I am to be up here. You know, and anytime somebody asks me to, to share or to speak, I'm always just so humbled by it because I'm like, who am I? You know, I'm just some dude trying to figure this out. And so I'm super appreciative for that. Um, my name is Dave Long, and I want to start by asking a couple questions. Who here has a job? Show of hands. You got a job, job, okay, got some workers, that's good. A mom, any moms? Show of hands, dads? Got dads? Okay, anybody go to the gym? Got some, I got a couple, okay, all right, that makes it's coffee shops, you know, like coffee shops, pubs, restaurants? Okay, good. Then if you answered yes to any of those, then this message is for you, okay, and it's, it's for me. Um, I'm a father, I am a brother, I'm a brother to you, and I also you know, a biological brother. Um, I'm a disciple. I'm a full-time realtor. So my, my occupation, what I do for a living is I sell houses, um, probably about 50 hours a week. That's what I do. Um, I'm a soon-to-be uh, fiance, um, but don't tell my girlfriend. She's right there. We don't, we don't want her to know. Um, and I am a lover of people. I'm not a paid pastor, uh, nor did I go to seminary. I'm literally just, just a dude that really likes Jesus and has been transformed by the gospel um, and, and sells houses. That's, 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 just, that's just really, like, that's just really what, I, what I do. Um, and this morning, I, I feel like I'm, I don't want to say I'm starting a conversation. I'm continuing a conversation. I'm just planting seeds. I want to dialogue in a sense. And I want to treat this time together that we have together as if like we're at the dinner table catching up. We're just family hanging out, catching up, just sharing a little bit about what's been going on. And that's kind of the way I would like to treat um, this morning. The, the title of my message is Jesus at Fred Meyer. Right? I know. I know. Thank you. Um, and, and so I, I have the amazing opportunity to share my testimony with you and what it would look like. For Jesus to work at Fred Meyer. For Jesus at Fred Meyer. Why did I choose that phrase? Because um, I chose Fred Meyer because it is familiar to us. It's simple. It's practical. And we all go there. And this morning I want to talk about mission in the marketplace. Right? We've, we've heard this term like missionary, uh, market missionaries or mission in the marketplace. And what I really mean by that, and I think what we mean by that, is you and I at work. It's really basic. Right? In our cubicles, um, at Starbucks, bagging groceries, selling houses, um, studying at school to become an engineer, an electrician, a dentist, whatever, whatever your thing is, I want to talk about that. Become a missionary in the marketplace, you and I at work, you and I at the gym, you and I hanging out with the culture. Um, I've been given the task to inspire us and to encourage us to be a light 
in a broken place. Um, to be a messenger of hope to a people who don't know the love of Christ. And to be an example of grace and forgiveness to those that we spend 40 hours or plus every single week. 40 hours a week. That's a lot of time. I don't think we spend that much time with our family. That's a lot of time. So I want to talk about that a little bit. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity to be here with, with your people, to be here with, with your family, with my family. And I ask God that you will just use this time to speak into our lives, that you will use me. Um, I want to be available to you, Lord. And I pray that you will just decrease me and increase you in your word and that you will speak to each and every one of us through your Holy Spirit in a very tangible and real way. And Lord, I pray that this message is practical and applicable to our lives, um, and it's something that's also reproducible, God. Um, be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to share a very familiar passage just to kind of set the tone. It's very, you know, it's commercialized, but it's good. Really good. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of age. You know what? When I, I said this last uh, service, your pastor's school, he has like an iPad, huh? I'm super old school. I got these papers here. But to the very end of age. Broken relationships. Fractured marriages. Depression. Bondage, addiction, anger, resentment, sexual abuse, lack of purpose, uncertainty. Every day we encounter people and we spend 40 hours or more a week with people who are facing this. Uncertainty, sexual abuse, confusion, lack of purpose, not knowing their father, their creator, every single week. And every day people, normal people like you and I, since the beginning of time, have asked questions such as, who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? Is there a creator? And if there is, who or what is it or he or she? What is it? Ministry in the marketplace, and what I mean by that is you and I in the marketplace is so critical. We spend 40 hours a week, and we encounter the same people every day. And what ends up happening at times, with including myself, like I literally write these messages for me and I hope you get something out of it. But seriously, what ends up happening is we end up compartmentalizing our faith. Okay? So church is a building that we go to. It's a building. We go to church, to a building, and that's where we go and worship and hang out and drink coffee and receive God's word. And it's good, right? But that's kind of how we compartmentalize. We, we go to this building and we go to church there. Mission is typically when we go out and feed the homeless, which is good. It's not, okay, it's good. Or we leave the country and go serve in some way. We'll go serve in Africa or Uganda, which is also good. Right? But that's kind of our idea of mission. In work, that's where I go and make money. That's kind of where I go. And typically, we compartmentalize these things. And none of them are necessarily bad. But I'm not sure it's the fullness of what God wants us to experience and how God wants to use us as the church, as his body, as his hands and feet, as his mouthpiece. Um, and so what I would like us to start, the way I would like us to start thinking is how can we integrate our faith, right, and our work? Or even, like, beyond that, like, where we hang out, like, where we go to the gym, 
How can we integrate the two instead of separating them and compartmentalizing them? And I believe we're all uh, guilty of it. We need Christian doctors. We need Christian uh, baggers. We need Christian teachers. We need Christian plumbers. We need Jesus at Fred Meyer. Do you ever feel like your place of work is like secular? Right? Show of hands. Like my place is secular. Right? It's dark there. It's worldly. Right? We all hear this. Right? I, I feel the same way. Most people I work with are Christian. I feel that way sometimes too. But it, it's something that we all hear. And we all kind of complain about it a little bit. You know, and that's, and that's, and that's, that's normal. Um, but the thing is, where you work, it is secular. It is dark. It is worldly. These people are far from God. They don't know him. They don't know the Father. So there's no other way in which the culture would behave themselves. But the beautiful thing is that God has sent us there to be a light to a broken people, to, to, to share his truth with them. I can promise you this. There are people at your place of work right now that God wants to love through you. Like, like you. There are people at your place of work right now that God wants to speak to through you. There are people there right now that he wants to love through you and I. And there are people at our place of work that need us to intercede for them in prayer. R.C. Sproul, he said, he described the mission in the marketplace like this. The cradle of the church was the marketplace. From the preaching and public ministry of Jesus to the daily acts of the apostles. The central scene was the marketplace. Perhaps the greatest need for our day is the need to market Jesus Christ. The church must become experts in marketing, not in a slick Madison style avenue type of way, but in an aggressive yet dignified way. The marketplace is where we belong. It is where needy people are found. Listen to this. It is not enough for the church to hang a welcome sign on her door. We dare not wait for the world to come to us. Isn't that beautiful? It's so proactive. It's so assertive, right? It's so intentional. Now, there's definitely an elephant in the room. Um, I've noticed within myself and with others where we believe the lie that we can't make a difference in the culture that we're in currently. We believe the lie that we weren't called to make disciples where we work, live, and play. We believe the lie that we're not equipped by God or his people to actually go out and be messengers of hope and messengers of reconciliation. And I want to dispel that and let you know that if you're a follower of Christ, then we have been entrusted with the most valuable gift known to man. The gift that sets men free. A gift that brings God and man back together through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that gift is the truth. We have been entrusted with the truth. The truth that drastically and dramatically is unfailing and does not allow people to remain the same. It just doesn't. And this truth is a person. We've been entrusted with this valuable gift to share with others. My goal is that we will be encouraged, we will be inspired, we will be intentional, and that we will move from unbelief to belief about who God is and who God says we are in our identity and the role that we get to play in this grand story. I want to share a little bit of my testimony with you guys. 
I first came to the Lord about five years ago. So I'm 28. I was 23 years old when I came to the Lord. Now, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, um, but I did go to church with my grandma sometimes because afterwards we would go to Sizzlers and she'd get like the little chicken nuggets, you know. No, the grandmas are laughing. <laughs> That's how you guys get us to go. You ever get some chicken nuggets, hon? <laughs> All right, grandma. Um, so I definitely didn't grow up in like a religious home. I didn't grow up like I didn't know Jesus. I've heard of Jesus. I thought that was baloney. You know, I was on some other stuff trying to figure out like the purpose of life. It definitely wasn't Jesus. That would have been the last option. But the day I came to the Lord, let me ask this question. Has anyone here ever been up for five days straight? All right, we got one. Two. <laughs> so five days straight. Anybody? Anyone who raised their hand? You did a lot of drugs. You did a lot of drugs. And that's where God found me. I was up for five days straight. No sleep. No food. You ever see those guys on the Portland, on the freeway, like holding a sign like, need, you know, we'll work for food? That was me. Except I wouldn't work. I just wanted your money. So that was me. Imagine that guy that we drive by every day. I was up for five days straight, multiple times. My primary choice of drugs was methamphetamine, heroin, ecstasy, marijuana, of course. Um, anything I could virtually get my hands on, whether they were pharmaceuticals or just hardcore drugs. And this time where God found me was like the lowest part of my life. I was depressed. I was on drugs. I was a loser. Like, it was just a really bad time. I did not know God. I didn't know anything about who I was and the story of reality and what that meant. Um, I won't go into great detail because of the time, but that's the place in the environment where God found me, where he entered into my life. Um, at that time, I lived in Los Angeles, and I believe that God told me to move to Portland, Oregon, um, in order to go into a drug rehab called Victory Outreach. Some of you guys may have heard of it. It's a one-year program where you just... You it's, it's a lot of discipleship, but it's also a place to go and get sober, and that's where God called me to go. So I just hopped on a bus, I came out, uh, it was a one-year program, and while I was in there, you had to pay your way through, and the way you did that was by going on various different job sites, okay? One of the job sites I went on, I was asked to shovel bark dust for nine hours. Anyone ever done that? Shoot, man. I'm from L.A., and so there's like certain things I just never did. I never shoveled bark dust, I never cut down trees, and... You know, the Christmas tree thing, like that was weird. And then we do other stuff too that was really weird out here where we would wash cars in the rain. It was like so weird to me. Like, why are we doing car washes in the rain? You know, it was so odd. But anyway, so I would go on these different job sites and one of them was, um, was the shoveling bark dust for, for nine hours. Now, a gentleman by the name of Jeff Edmondson, um, who is now my principal broker at my real estate firm, he approached me and he asked me, he's like, hey, would you be interested in learning to do what I do? I'm like, well, that depends on what, what do you do? And he goes, well, I'm a realtor. I was like, eh, you know, I don't know. Being from L.A., I didn't really trust people in these multi-level marketing schemes and, like, all this get-rich stuff. So, you know, and so I was just kind of like, eh, I don't know. But I took his card. And I had three months left in the program. And I said, hey, I'll call you when, I, when I'm done, you know. Three months goes by. And, you know, I come across the card. And I'm like, all right. So I pray. I'm like, God, what's up? What's the deal with this guy? Is he cool or what? You know, and I feel like I was like, give him a call. So I called him, and he came to meet with me. Come to find out, he too is a Christian, and God told him to approach me and offer me the position. It was super weird. The way I've been like, connecting the dots is so fun how God's been working. Now, I needed a job after completing the program, and he offered me uh, a position in the office as an assistant. I just put stamps on envelopes. I had no idea what to do, to be honest with you. He was just being really nice. 
Um, but while I did that, I also pursued my real estate license. Now, achieving the goal of getting my real estate license proved to be much harder than I expected because I previously had a felony uh, for stealing cars and I had 10 other misdemeanor charges, the likelihood of me getting my license were like, they were like slim to none. And so I made a mistake and I Googled, can a felon get a real estate license? And of course, everything came back absolutely not. It's like if you have a cough and you're like, I got a cough, what, what's going on? You're gonna die in two days. It's like, what the heck? Like don't go to Google for advice. And so I go to Google and I'm like doing research like legitimately and I find out like, it's not gonna happen. And in order to, if you have a charge, in order to get your real estate license, you have to submit all your paperwork. So all the documents from times when you were arrested. So I had to go back and forth to Los Angeles for months getting all this paperwork. And I had no type of promise that I would even get my license. Are you guys with me? Now, but I persisted anyways. It takes the average person six weeks. So if you wanted to go get your real estate license right now, it'd take about six weeks. Just go, get in, fingerprint, do the test is kind of tough. But do the test, you'd be done. All the, together, everything took me about a year and a half. Took me a very, very long time. Um, after submitting all my paperwork to them, I patiently waited for an answer. I was pretty desperate because all I had was like a semi-high school education. So I dropped out of high school in like the ninth grade. Like this story gets worse. And seriously, you're like, what the heck? And so I dropped out in the ninth grade. I literally have like, like if you like look at my resume, it's not very impressive. It's kind of nice now, but before it, it was not. And so I was desperate because I had no other career options. Like, what am I going to do? I'm not going to become an engineer. You know, I'm not like a, you know, a hands-on kind of guy, so I can't do any plumbing or any like real work, you know? And so I was just pretty desperate. Now, a couple, a couple months after submitting my documents uh, to be reviewed, I finally received a phone call. And the call went a little something like this. She said, David, I've been reviewing your case for some time now. Usually, it would be a no-brainer for me to deny your application. But for some reason, I feel compelled to give you a chance. When I showed your file to the commissioner, he looked at me like I had lost my mind. So it probably went something like this, right? This lady, she's so sweet. I forget her name. I should buy her flowers. Um, she probably has my file. And here's the commissioner, right? Just kind of hanging. I could just imagine him being kind of like a grumpy older dude. And she probably walks up to him and says, hey, I got this application from this guy that used to do a bunch of drugs and sold a bunch of cars and has a bunch of charges. Um, can we give him a real estate license? <laughs> right? And he's probably like, what? So he looks at her like she's crazy, but says, I don't know what you're up to or what your thoughts are, but I'll give you the authority to make the decision. So she says, David, I'm pleased to let you know that we're going to grant you the opportunity to get your real estate license and become an agent. When I got off the phone with her, I just started weeping. I mean, like, like ugly. Like, if I had mascara, it would just be, like, rolling down my chin. It was like one of those ugly cries. So I'm just crying. I'm on the freeway, and I have to pull over, and I'm just weeping because I knew, like, I knew only God can make that happen. And I remember telling God, I was like, you know what? If you want me to have this job, like, no one can really shut or open this door but you. Like, this file will go in the right hand. I don't know how he does anything he does, to be honest. But this file will go, I was going to say half the stuff he does, but that's like, that's arrogant to say that. But this file will go in someone's hand and you will make a way. And no man has the ability to shut that door. And I held on to that. And in faith, I might write a message about this sometime, but I was unsure, but my actions kept going. 
right? Like I had no idea, but I believed somewhere in there, and so I just kept doing the walking, doing the stuff I, I needed to do. I believed that God could do that if he wanted to. So I've been a real estate agent now for a little over a year and a half, and the Lord has not stopped blessing me. Like I've had a very successful first quarter in, in real estate. I've um, been one of the one uh, percent um, sales agents in um, the nation. I have um, I just applied for Forbes 30 under 30, um, and I think that's going to go really well. Um, it's just been a very beautiful start. That's not really important. What's really cool is that God has not stopped blowing my mind with how he's allowed me to watch him work through me and my business and through my team. It's been so freaking cool. Before I started working at where I'm at now, my now assistant, which is crazy, but my now assistant did not know the Lord, her or her husband. And I don't have a whole lot of time right now, but there's a lot of stories I would love to share if you guys ever want to grab coffee to go into more detail. But she was not a believer. Okay? I'm super stoked to say, like, this summer, like, I'm baptizing her. And I'm so excited. The way that unfolded was completely amazing. I've been able to build relationships and speaking to the lives of my bankers at um, different organizations, Chase Bank, Wells Fargo, uh, my CPA, um, my clients, very hands-on as far as serving and loving and watching God work through that. And just anybody that God allows me to come in contact with, um, not only but through my business, but just in my life in general. And so I've been able to watch God work all the way from the streets of L.A., coming throughout here, putting someone on mission to reach out to me, being discipled by him, and then now giving back and believing and trusting God that he's going to be with me like he's promised in his word to go and share the gospel with others. Are you guys following me? Now, I've built a ton of relationships with people. And sometimes these intentional relationships lead to nothing. Sometimes they lead to baptism. Sometimes they lead to just good, fun conversations. Sometimes they lead to very theological, rich theological conversation. Philosophy, politics, sexuality, golf, swimming, whatever. Like these conversations just lead places. And sometimes, what I, I guess my point is that I don't always expect like a particular result. I just love and am available, and God does really cool things through that attitude. But what I do know is that I get a chance to love them, treat them like image bearers of God, regardless of their sexuality or political stance or their theological views or their worldview. Like, I don't care anymore. I try my best not to, at least. Um, it's tough. But I want to view everyone that I encounter, and I want us to encounter um, as image bearers, regardless. At the end of the day, like, they have the Imago day, like they're made in the image of God. And if we keep that perspective and try to take politics and sexuality and all these other things kind of out of the equation for a moment and just stop and think anytime we view someone, we're viewing someone created in the image of God. And when we start to believe that, it changes the way we treat people and, and talk to them um, and we become very intentional. So here's the question. Um, so how, how can we make disciples where we work with and play? And that question will not get fully answered today. It will not, I promise you. But we'll start a conversation and start, we want to start thinking in this way. How can we be more intentional about the correlation between our faith and our work? And so what I want to do, it's kind of, 
really want to like preach necessarily. Kind of more just coaching, like some things that I've, I've learned, a couple things that stood out to me, some things I can give you, and just kind of see like God what, what He may want to do with that. The the following practical steps I think can be implemented to communicate and model the love of Christ when we step outside of the walls, right, and into our workplace or the gym or the coffee shop. Afterwards, if you guys have any questions or want to continue dialogue or anything like that, like I would love to. I have a question. When does when does discipleship begin? You guys can throw out answers, I don't care. When do you think discipleship begins? Now I don't know if the answer I'm gonna give you is objectively true, but I like it. And we can debate that later. (laughs) I've heard it said, and this is how I've started to view the way I live, is discipleship begins at the point of contact. So what you typically will hear, and like I said, I don't know where you guys stand around. I'm I'm down to have an open conversation and figure it out. That's all I want to do is figure it out. I've heard that it's said it's like when someone does the prayer. Baptism, maybe. When someone agrees to following Christ, maybe, something like some type of confession, right? Um, I think that, I think this helps, is that discipleship begins at the point of contact, meaning when I meet you, there's an intentionality there. I want to teach not only with my words, but with my actions, what Christ has taught me and what it looks like to follow Christ and to be transformed by the gospel. At that moment, as soon as we meet, I'm already in discipleship mode. Believer or non-believer. Here's a, here's a, fun, here's a fun fact of, of the pool of people that we can love. I love undiscipled Christians. There's, there's, enough, there's enough people to love within the, our own family. Right? So the moment we engage with each other, discipleship is beginning. Now, what that transpires to is up to God. I'm not in control and you're not in control of the results. We are, what we can control is how we love, how we serve. How we respond. I would love to hear some ideas about that later. I'm curious. But I think the number one thing we need to start with is our identity when it comes to making disciples and being intentional. 2 Corinthians 5.20 reads, So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. The first step in living out the gospel where we work and, and play and live is our identity. Did you know, did you guys know that you're all missionaries? Each and every one of us is a missionary sent by God to go, go proclaim the truth, to go proclaim the good news. I know we've been taught that a missionary is somebody who either leaves the country. Typically, that's what we're taught. But we've been given a new identity, and we are missionaries. That's, that's, our, that's our identity. We get to do that. We get to be, um, proclaim God's truth. We get to be ambassadors. God is a missionary God. Think about in the garden, okay? When Adam and Eve sinned. What did God say? He said well, quite a few things. Where are you? Right? And now he knew where they were. But what do we, what's the imagery we see here? We see God being very proactive, right? Assertive, 
seeking his people. What, 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 where are you, what are you, what's going on? Seeking them. What does Jesus do, right? Jesus comes and buys God, incarnate, right? Comes to the earth as what? A missionary. Jesus comes and he penetrates the culture. He eats with the people, right? He hangs out with the people. He works with the people. He speaks their language. He develops their sort of their, you know, their culture. He comes, he comes from a very lofty place to come among us and hangs out with a very intentional purpose. He has a mission. What he did was he lived in such a way that those around him could see and experience exactly what the father is truly like. What if I told you that you were the missionary in your community? That it's you. You're the one the people are going to hear the good news from. If we truly believe that, how would that change the way we respond to people? How we care for our neighbors? How would that change the way we spend our money, spend our time, steward our resources? If we believe that we actually are the missionaries that God has sent out into the world. How would that change the environment? How would that change culture? How would that change radio? How would that change the law? We had, you know, Christian judges who thought this way. Here's a quote from someone I train under uh, by the name of Caesar Kalinowski. Regardless of how God decides to route our paychecks, either through a business or through a church, we are full-time missionaries. It starts with our identity. Once we start to believe who we are and who God has called us to be, we will naturally live the byproduct from that. We'll be, we'll be on mission. The next thing is being intentional. Okay, so now we're starting to believe that we actually are missionaries sent to go and make disciples. Now what? we got to be intentional. In my discipleship, I've been taught to identify people that we call people of peace. Okay? So these are people who we don't share the same worldview, but they're not opposed to my beliefs. If that makes any sense. They're kind of leaning into my life. You ever notice those people? They know you're a Christian. They're not really opposed to your views, but they kind of lean into your life. They're always a little curious about who you are, what you're doing, how life is going. These are people that we want to build trust with, build rapport with, and look for opportunities to be able to speak the gospel um, into their lives in very practical and real ways. I want to share an example uh, with my, my girlfriend, Blaine. She's Super intentional when it comes to this kind of stuff. She, we read a lot of books together about relationships, and we're trying to figure it out. No one told us how messy this was. You guys are messed up for that. But, like, yeah, everyone laughs. You guys already know it's tough, you know? But we're, we're, we're figuring it out together. And so I love that book. That would, you know, what, is, what if God made your marriage to not make you happy but make you holy? You know, we're learning what that means. And so we read a ton of books together. Like, uh, Love and Respect has been amazing. The Five Love Languages is good. A couple other books that we've read. And so her friends at Nike, she's a color designer at Nike, um, I forget how it came up, like, hey, um, it came up that we read books together to better grow our relationship. And the girls there were like, oh, you know, and I was like, yeah. And so she took an awesome opportunity to, she's going to get some books that we've been reading and give them to her boss because they're curious about, well, what books do you guys read? Now she's not, she's going to be intentional. And she's going to be wise. So she's not going to give them some super thick theological book, and they're not even believers. But she's going to give them something that can plant seeds. Like, love and respect is really good. The five love. These are good books, right? But she's going to give them to them, being intentional, um, and then just kind of plant these seeds and then cultivate that relationship. 
Does that make sense? So it's looking for these practical opportunities to be able to infuse the gospel into um, everyday living. I'm running out of time, but I want to share this other point that's super interesting. So we went to Bend, Oregon for New Year's. We hang out, went to a couple pubs, went to a couple restaurants. Um, and this is about intentionality and, and, and identity. This, we wanted to take our picture. So this lady with red hair and her husband, she blame points around and says, she's a photographer. And I'm like, all right. So we asked if she could take our photo. She takes our picture, and she tells us about some really cool spots to go to afterwards. We're like, cool, maybe we'll see each other later in the night, whatever. So we end up going to McMenamin's um, in Ben Orton, which was really rad. It was super cold, though. Who do we see? The girl and the guy. Right? And so they see each other. They just give each other a hug. Like, girls do that. Like, if I just met you one time and saw you just gave you a hug, you probably might be here. Relax. And so, anyways, we're in there. We're going. We're in line. And they start asking, what do you do? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm, like, I'm a realtor. I'm a color designer at Nike. We're like, what do you do? She goes, oh, I'm a porn star. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a porn star. Wow. And so I'm like, okay. All right. Uh, how's that going? <laughs> And so, so it's funny, like, we become, like, in sync. So I could go and be like, oh, porn star, oh, my gosh, you filthy, you, filthy, you know, sinner you. Or I can say, God, this is interesting. Is there something you want to do here? Right? And so we kind of just, like, oh, okay, what do you do? Our husband was, like, retired uh, vet. Cool. So we kind of get outside by the fire, and I whisper in Blaine's ear, I'm like, a porn star, huh? She's like, yeah, how interesting is that? I was like, I know. And I was like, hey, let's see if God wants to do something here. She's like, yeah, for sure. All right, let's just hang out. Guess what happened that night with this couple? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing happened. We just hung out, had some drinks, and left. My point is that we were being intentional, though. We were just waiting to see, hey, God, do you want to do something here? Right? It would have been great if something would have, you know, she was like, oh, I want to, that would have been nice, but that didn't happen. But the point was that we were intentional. Um, and so there's a lot of things that end up happening like this that turn into something really amazing. Or we're just planting seeds. We're just planting seeds. We're just doing, I'm not, we're not in charge of the results. You guys with me so far? Because of time, I'm going to share like one more point, and then I would love to discuss further some other time. Another thing to be mindful of, okay, like we want to be ambassadors, right? We want to be intentional. The next thing is our character, right? Listen to this. Colossians 4, 5 through 6 reads, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that way you may know how to answer everyone. This sounds so glorious. I feel like I'm on like the mountain. Um, I love this verse here. Uh, Paul is encouraging his disciples to be wise in how they treat others. He's telling them to be intentional about their relationships. He says, let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Okay? Here's my question. And it's not just for you guys. It's for me too. How do we treat people at work? I'll take it a step further. How do we treat people at work that we just don't like? You know, when little Bobby comes to work, it's like, dang, I can't believe Bobby's here today. You know what I'm saying? Or Susie, or whatever. It's like, what? Gosh. This goes back to our identity, how we respond and treat people. 
Paul is saying make the most of every opportunity. People are watching how we deal with customers. People are watching how we respond with a really rude, arrogant, frustrating boss. People are watching how we speak about others. Let me ask you guys this. How do we speak about our boss who rubs us the wrong way to other people? Right? Because this happens to all of us. Our boss is a complete jerk. And he comes and just nails us for whatever. And then we go off to our coworkers and we start telling them how much this guy sucks. And so my, my point is that we want to be mindful of our character. Is it always going to be 100%? No way. There are going to be times you're going to be like, dude, you're, you're a loser. But the point is that we have a standard and we want to be able to reflect God's character and his love in all that we're doing. Because people are watching. We want to respond to situations in such a way that's so dramatically different from the culture that when we do have these opportunities, people are just like blown away. And they're asking us, why are you so, how do you handle it that way? Why? I would have totally blown up, but we handle it with such care and intentionality. My last point, I promise. Um, don't try and fix people. Just love them. Just love them. I'm just learning this probably like this quarter of the year. What month were we? Yep, two weeks. Just love people. What I mean by that is sometimes we hear like someone's gay or they use profanity, something weird, or yeah, these things we trip on, or they're living with somebody who's not there. Um, spouse, and we even measure the culture. It's like God's standards sometimes, which I don't know. So anyways, we become very much like we need to fix somebody or have a sword fight with someone and prove why they're morally wrong. And I'm not saying that there's not times for that. Right? If someone tells me they want to kill babies, I'll probably have something to say about that. Right? Seriously. But, but what I'm saying is there's an intentionality where we don't need to try and fix every person in every situation because we can't. We can't. Let me give you an example. My, my girlfriend's looking for a roommate. And so she meets with a young lady named Kelly, who's also looking for a roommate. And they meet for coffee to get to know each other. Now, Kelly, um, her, they're getting to know each other. And Blaine asks, well, why are you kind of moving? You know, what, why are you moving? And she goes, well, um, me and my girlfriend broke up. She goes, oh, okay, cool, all right, well. Well, what about you? What do you like to do for fun? Well, I, you know, I work at Nike. I, um, I like to serve at my church. I, you know, these are the things I like to do. And she's like, oh, church. Oh, are, like, are, we, are we good? Are we, can I live, am I allowed to be near you? I mean, are we, can I live in your house? Is that okay? Are you? And so my girlfriend, right, she's looking at her like, what? And so my, my point is, we don't care. I don't care. We shouldn't care necessarily. I didn't get more detail of the conversation, but I don't know if I care so much about your sexuality in the way you think I do. I'm not sure I care so much about your political views in the way you think I do. I care about opportunities to reveal the Father to you. And he does really fun stuff and cool things when that takes place. Now, will there be doors open to have these conversations? Sure. But why is there such a division where automatically people think we hate them because of a certain way they identify? Does that mean I, I don't need to agree with you to love you? I may 100% disagree. And we can have that conversation at some point. But I think the first thing I want to be intentional about is, okay, God, how do you want to use me in this situation to draw this person closer to you? 
That makes sense? And so these are some of the things that I think about when I think about being a mission in a marketplace. My identity, being intentional, my character, right? Inviting people, not necessarily to church in the way that we think, but inviting people into my life because I'm the church. You see, the church is not just this building. You guys are the church. So it's good to invite people here. Keep doing that. We want to bring people together to be around the family of God, to you know, experience that. But also invite people into your life, to the dinner table, to coffee. And these will open up amazing opportunities to be able to speak into their lives and see what God may want to do or not do in that situation. I'm going to call Paul up um, as I close, and he will lead us into communion and with a song. My hope is that seeds were planted today and that we can start to reframe the way we think about our work and the authority and the role and the identity that God has given us to speak into the culture. It, it doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be, you know, loud and very subtle and powerful. And like I said, this is just a conversation we're starting. I'm still trying to figure this out, but I know I, I want to make disciples. And, and I know you guys want to too, but it's just kind of like, how do I do that? And so I think we can discover that together and share thoughts with each other on how we can better serve the culture, love the culture, and bring a reconciliation between man and God. And we get to be a part of that. It's fun. Let me conclude by saying this. We don't have to love others. Like, you seriously don't have to. Um, I know it's weird, but you don't. Uh, we don't have to share our faith. Like, you really don't have to go and share your faith. We don't have to treat one another like family and invite others into what God's doing. We definitely don't have to. I, want you to. I don't want us to feel like we have to do these things. I don't want us to be legalistic. Whether or not we do these things, it doesn't change the Father's love for us. It doesn't change. We don't stop being a child of God. We don't stop being image bearers. We actually don't even stop being missionaries because we don't become missionaries uh, based off what we do. We just are because that's the identity God's given us. We'll still be deeply loved by Christ if we didn't do these things. But we definitely get to. We definitely get to serve our coworkers. We get to be a light in a dark place. We get to share an amazing story of redemption to those that don't know God and whoever he brings into our path. We get to journey with people as they discover who they are, what the meaning of life is. And who is this Jesus character? Was he just a carpenter? Was he just a good man? Or was he truly Lord? We get to walk alongside people as they figure that out. And it does not have to be a battle. There does not have to be conflict. We get to be Jesus at Fred Meyer. Thank you for your time. Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast of Spring of Life Church, where our mission is to invite thirsty people to become disciples of Jesus. For more information or to plan a visit to our church in Portland, visit us at springoflifepdx.com.